Welcome to the Military Transition Academy's PM Pathfinder Series, where Max Rogers, former enlisted Marine turned naval officer and civilian energy industry project manager extraordinaire, teams up with the formal Navy enlisted and Army officer candidate Eric Doc Wright, Vesta PM's founder and best-selling author, alongside Jeremy Burdick, a retired Air Force chief, aircraft mechanic, and aviator turned civilian operations chief and process specialist for Vesta PM and the PDU University, bring you an audio-video suite to help you find the path while mentoring you in the profession of project management. Along the way, you can study for your CAP on PMP, PMIACP, Scrum Master Certifications, or just maintain your professional development units in a casual, enjoyable conversation between right. friends. Here's another episode of the PM Pathfinder with Max Rogers. Uh, so great to have you back. Uh, today, we're going to cover the identification of artifacts that we'll use in predictive and plan-based projects. So we'll suspend the Agile for now. And then we'll also talk about uh, calculating cost and schedule variance using uh, EVM. So without further ado, let's identify a couple of those artifacts that you just have to have when you're doing a predictive project. And, you know, what, do, what would you say the number one is? And then we'll pepper in some more. The number one is your project chart. That, that is your shield that you stand behind as a project manager. It you know, it authorizes the project. It, what it really does is it authorizes the expenditures of resources within the company in order to plan and execute the project. So it's, you know, it's a synop it, it's the it's the why statement. Why are we doing this project? It gives the business reasons, the business case. Uh, it, it identifies your major stakeholders. It gives you a synopsis of your budget, a synopsis of the schedule. Every, anything that, that anyone outside the project team may ever want to know about the project is contained on that project charter. And it's a, it's a document that at the end of your project, it needs to be coffee stained and dog eared and worn out and have miles and miles and miles of, mi of mileage on it because you carry it with you and use it on a regular basis. Oh, great. Then my number two was always stakeholder registry. It is so important for you to engage your stakeholders uh, and to make sure that they are comfortable with what's going on in the project and, and how those things are, are, are being accomplished. And, uh, and, and that you, no one falls through the crack. You don't lose sight of anyone. My number three was always the WBS. That's, this is what we're doing guys. And it broke broken down to the lowest level that you need on your work breakdown schedule. Uh, and it's a clear, statement of all the things you're going to do. And just as importantly, it clearly identifies the things you don't intend to do. They were not in your requirements document. So therefore it didn't make it on to the work breakdown structure. It may be something not saying that, that there's not value added in doing that, not saying that it's not worthwhile, not saying that it's not important, just saying that it was not included in this project. Now, if you want to include in the project, we can do that by my next artifact, which was my change order log. Mm -hmm. I always kept my change order log with me so that I could understand that that was the, the difference, the explanation of the difference between what's on the WBS and what we're actually doing. That's the, your change order log is the bridge between your original your your scope baseline and your what we're actually doing uh then as the project progressed i would always develop my lesson learn register and keep that with me because there's a lot of there's a misconception that lessons learned can only be applied to follow on projects if you learn a lesson early in a project that benefits that project, you need to apply that lesson to this current project. So carry that lessons learned register with you. And those were always my top six 
and uh, the artifacts. Now, let me back up. First of all, let's make sure that everyone understands an artifact is something that was produced by the project. Okay. It can be a spreadsheet. It can be a list. It can be a report. It can be anything. Anything that was produced by the project is an artifact. So in the predictive projects, which are very heavily geared toward documentation and paperwork, you need these artifacts uh, for to, to help you plan and execute the project. Then, and then you can you add on all your project management plans that uh, that the, the 10 project management plans, your requirements plan, your scope, schedule, cost, quality, resources, communications, risk, procurement, and stakeholder management plan that all roll into your project management plan. That project management plan is an artifact. It is the, it is, it is become, it becomes the most uh, inclusive artifact of the entire project. So, and it needs to be updated. And then you add also your three baselines, your scope schedule uh, and budget baselines. Uh, those are, are um, uh, important artifacts, primarily because as we're gonna talk about here in just a few minutes, as we talk about scheduling cost performance and measurements, that's, this is what the your, your performance is based against your scope schedule and cost baseline. So, and it's it becomes difficult. Um, it can be when you're teaching someone a PMP course about all these project management plans that roll up and that that you develop them concurrently and you get your scope plan, a scope management plan ready to go, and it's all thing, but you hold off. And then you get your schedule management plan all ready to go, but you hold off. And then you get your cost management plan all ready to go and ready to sign on to, but you hold off until you get all these plans. And then you look at them uh, cohesively and, and put them all together and baseline that scope schedule and cost. And then that's the baseline that your performance is measured against as the project proceeds. Yeah, so, and then I would wrap it up by saying the, you know, we talk about ETHs and OFs and these, uh, these documents that the organization has produced and that they own operate. Those also are, are become artifacts for your project because they very well may prescribe management reviews like stage gate reviews and things like that that you have to do those become very important artifacts that that authorize you to continue the next phase of the project or continue with the project you know your change management plan is typically an organizational document that prescribes how every project manages change management but that becomes an artifact for your project also the same way with configuration management uh, uh, plan, if you if you are in an organization that uses a configuration management plan, and also performance management uh, is is uh, can be prescribed by your organization pers- uh, performance reviews and those sort of things, and all the outputs of all those meetings and and plans become your artifact, and then finally, I guess the last thing is you. Your entire developmental approach needs to be become an artifact. You need to be able to justify when, you, you know, we talk about the agile projects and predictive projects and, and how, how do we choose and why do we choose and which one did we choose, which, which methodology you were going to use. That uh, decision-making process that you go through and needs to be formalized and it may just be one sheet of paper, but there needs to be uh, an artifact produced that says, look, we're going to execute this project using an agile methodology because of these reasons. Boom, 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 boom. And you've got it. So so that's my list uh, of the predictive project uh, artifacts that I have 
carried with me for and used for and developed from years and years. They're not all my ideas, but they're just a, a compilation of, of things that I have put together. I will say this. If you have all these artifacts, you're not missing anything. You get, you got it. It's all there. So, so if you, you've got these things, they're there. But right. the, like I said, the, imp the important thing to remember is that, that an artifact is a is documentation okay yeah. and and it, it it is the why you're doing what you're doing so and so right. it's important to have that uh to look back on it's important for the next generation of project managers in your organization to be able to go into the files and look at the artifacts and to to then make their own assessment of hey what they're i'm being asked to do you know, uh, is, is, is what approach should I take? I mean, why, what have they done in the past? How did it work out? Maybe we can try something new. And uh, so, so yeah. that's the importance of, of, I'm a big proponent of, of artifacts and, uh, and, and making sure that they are uh, uh, put in a file system that is consistent throughout the organization so that every project is set up the same way so that you can always go. If you're looking for the risk register for, for eight different projects, the risk register should be in your company file system in basically the same place. And that's, that's one of the real benefits of a, having a PMO organization within your organization is because they handle those sort of thing. They, they ensure that the file system is set up like that to support the projects. Right on. I couldn't agree more. Uh, PMO project management office, right? They're typically the ones, they're the hub for the organization that uh, manages projects and then send project managers out typically. So, and they support them. I mean, it depends on, the way you've got it structured is if it's, you know, supportive or, you know, sometimes they're a little bit overbearing and they require certain things and they can be you know, directed. Exactly. Right. Directed. But that's in the directed. industry, in the oil and gas industry, they're very directive because it's all about compliance that is required to federal regulations. And right. so, so they, they have a reason for being so prescriptive and directive. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, something you said too about the the project charter, and I think it's really good. I don't want to like miss it. It's like your badge, right? It's it, it, it's what your puts shield. The PM I, on your I, I, it, that's your shield, and you and and you can use it as a sword or a shield. If someone ever questions why you are doing something, if it's on your project charter, that's all you have to do. And because and the benefit is your project charter is signed by the project sponsor who is typically a senior executive within the organization. And if someone takes exception as to what you're doing during your project, he said, Hey, go talk to the project sponsor. Okay. He, Cause in, in, in the PMI world, the project charter is produced by the project sponsor and delivered to the project manager. And that's typically not what happens. The project manager in the working day world produces the, once you learn the importance of this sword and shield called the project manage, uh, the, the project charter, you will work steadfastly to ensure that you create a great project charter that your project sponsor looks at and goes, Oh, wow. Yeah. This is, this is exactly what I want. Yeah. That, that, yeah, this, you oh, nailed it. Where did I sign? And that's, that's, that's what you want. Yeah, just like uh, military appraisals, right? Hey, you want exactly. a good one? Write it yourself. <laughs> yep. I'm the boss. So yep. it's the same. It's the boss's document. Mm -hmm. It's their document on your performance. But you want to be a part of writing it because you know the details that you know about your performance. The same thing goes for the charter. If you can be there to help write it and get those details in and get the boss to sign it, same thing. It's still their document, but now... It, with your understanding. Exactly. And because you have a much more vested interest in that being a quality document that the sponsor does. The sponsor Absolutely. just checks the, did you sign the project charter? Yes. Check the box. You know, yeah. Then, then it went, then the next question is, is the project charter an effective project charter? 
That's and right. That's what the project manager deals with. So. Yeah. And then you move to step two and you're like, okay, stakeholder register. I like that too. Uh, right. Ultimately, you can source a few names off the charter, yep. but that's going to be a working living document that's going to change every single day of the project. Keep searching for new stakeholders because mm -hmm. you first thing, the easiest way to tick somebody off is leave them, leave them out of the communication loop, right? Yep. yep. Um, exactly. And, and you can pepper that stuff full of data. Like I know a lot of times we put in our communications management plan, but I personally like to have it all in the stakeholder register. How does this person like their coffee? What's yep. their best form of communication? They like me to text them. Do they prefer a phone call, email? Yep. What 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 suits their um their communication style the best? And how do I get in control or in contact? Who's their gatekeeper? Is it their secretary? Is it their uh, executive assistant? You know, so those those are just the key items to help you be successful later. So I agree. That's got to be a good number two. And in today's digital world, you can set up uh, alerts that will send you on a daily basis. This is the stakeholders you need to talk to today. And boom, boom, boom. That's all you need. Just a reminder. And then whether it's then you pull out your your reg stakeholder register, uh, stakeholder management plan and say, OK, when, when's the best time to contact them? How do they prefer to be contacted? And all those that all that information is there. But it's uh, yes, it's 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 once again, it's the human involvement. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And then uh, you moved on. I, I know a lot of the other things that you talked about live inside the project management plan. You know, that's like your big three ring 18 tab binder yeah. that you just fulfill out. But I do like that you brought out like the change control log. And I think that's important because you're looking at anything and everything that didn't go to plan. Exactly. Right? Which then natively should also be in your lessons learned because there was a lesson in the change. Like, this is why we didn't have it. Typically, I, I don't have a lot of experience in having deducted changes. All the changes I had, most of them, the vast majority, were added to changes. So the importance of this change management log is that it shows why your cost and your scope and even your schedule baselines may be affected and changed because of change, your, your uh, change law. And then that's why you have to have a rigorous change in a, in a predictive project. You need a very rigorous change management plan that goes, sets out a process and the procedures and the tools that are used to follow the project, the change management uh, requirements of the organization. And that's why the change management plan is typically an organizational level document that is provided to the project that says, look, if there are any changes to your project, you will follow this change management plan. That's and, right. Uh, so, as, and it's, that's, that's your, your, uh, your avenue, your roadmap back to where you came from. And, and exactly, you pointed out, you know, the uh, the big having your 18, you know, your your three ring binder that's eight inches stick, that's the project management plan, which that typically is. But I typically have a much smaller binder for my project that I carry around with me every day. And that's the one that includes the first document is the project charter and the stakeholder register and then the WBS and the risk register and the change order log and the lessons learned uh, register are all in that little half inch three ring binder that goes with me everywhere I go. And especially when you get up to the point, if you're a project manager who's managing multiple projects, then your half inch binder become may become a one inch binder because there are three projects in there and you can't carry all the artifacts for all the projects with you, but you can carry those six primary ones from each project with you and have them with you at all times. And you can, and that way, when I developed this technique that anytime someone asks me a question, especially if I considered it a difficult question to answer, the first thing I did was, well, let me check my management plan here. And I would open up this binder and I'd go to the project and I would go and find what they were talking about, whether if it was scope related, I would go look at the WBS or if it was, was something about a risk 
uh, issue, I would go turn immediately to the risk register and say, well, yeah, it's interesting that you you bring this up. You know, we just had a, um, a risk meeting last Tuesday and we discussed this specific risk and the plan going forward is to do this. And got it. And then that's the greatest way in the world to disarm someone is because uh, typically, uh, you know, people ask you questions because they're not confident that you know what you're doing. And if you can demonstrate that you are competent in what you're doing, then that that is it's amazing what an effect it has over someone who is questioning you. And uh, and it, it's more they're, they're less concerned about the details than they are with your general competency. A person that walks around with a three ring binder that has all the necessary data and information about the projects that they're working on, that instills a high level of confidence in that individual by everybody in the organization that they know what they're talking about. And their, their responses and their answers are based on data that they have that they're carrying around with me. They're not, they're not relying on that gray matter between your ears and hoping that they, they've got the proper recall circuit to get it. So. Right on. Yeah, I agree. And if you try to, you know, blow smoke, for example, <laughs> they're going to know, because like you said, it's, it's one of two things that they're, they're asking to see if you know what you're doing, because they either lack confidence or you're new, uh, or they already know the answer to the question. And they're going to see if you know the answer because they heard something in the hallway or a water cooler say, Hey, did you hear about all the drywall that got, you know, rained on it's ruined and we got to rebuy. You may not know that yet. So exactly. <laughs> Be careful how you answer a question because uh, somebody probably already knows the answer. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, I love the work breakdown structure. I think that's probably one of my favorites. Uh, ultimately, 100% of the work that's going to be done on the project better be documented there. Uh, we talk about that uh, later on when we go into agile stuff, That that's not always a factor at play, but for a predictive project, 100% of the work. And then, you know, as you break it down, get it down to the work package level, the lowest level of, uh, of work that can be done. Something that to remember is to try to break it into uh, consistent work cycles. So, you know, if you're working eight hour days, break them into eight hour work packages or something that you can measure in an eight hour work period so that it is consistent, it's uniform, and it's a lot easier to manage just from your perspective and the worker's perspective as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I really like using either day increments or half day increments and yeah. depending on, you know, what you're doing, what the situation is. Sometimes half day increments just becomes too laborious. Well, but, but a daily increment is that's a way for, and you, that's a great place to start is daily monitoring and daily. You may find out that your project team is performing so well that it's unnecessary to track it daily. And then you can back it off to weekly. But there's another old adage in, in, in management and leadership is, you know, it's always easy to lighten up, but it's very difficult to tighten up. So yeah, like start that. off tight. And then if you need to loosen up a little bit, you can. But uh, but start with the, you know, the monitoring the day day daily performance. And then once the everyone's proven that that's not necessary because they are meeting their commitments that they're making, then you can back that off to weekly performance. And, and maybe at some point, depending on the length of the project, what's going, maybe then biweekly or monthly performance, but, uh, but it's uh, start off tight and then uh, lighten it up. Yeah, I agree. Great, great. I mean, obviously build your buffer in, in the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, it gives you a little bit more breathing room and, you know, some of your risks haven't triggered in the very beginning, but very well may trigger as you get towards the end. So I, I, I think it's uh, words of wisdom for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, the last one on, that we can talk about before we move on is just the schedule, whether you do it in a Gantt chart or a network diagram, ultimately, if you know your start stop for each activity that's going to go off, you, when you're in that, that I call it my hot, my hallway document, right? So it's the, the little binder that you're walking around with. If you've got that schedule with you, you, you know, where people should be and what jobs should be going on. 
And it, it's pretty critical to have that schedule because that's like you said, it's your it's your daily look of what's going on. Where do I have folks that got all this overlapping stuff? What's what's concurrent? What's a dependency? And how long should it take? Exactly. And and you need I always had multiple schedules. I had the Gantt chart schedule to talk to management and and maybe even even other project managers or program managers. And that's the schedule tool that I use to have discussions with them. Whereas if I'm down at the engineering or the technician level, I'm down at a at a node schedule where everything is broken down so that they can see the interdependencies between the activities that they're doing and how they are affecting the other members of the team. And it's important to have that granularity and that level of detail at that level, which is totally unnecessary at the management level. So, uh, so you need, there's, there's not one size fits all. And don't think that whenever it comes down to decision time about which schedule tool I'm going to use, you probably need multiple schedule tools, depending on who your audience is. Yeah, I I like that. I mean, honestly, so it's not an either or; it's really a both, <laughs> right? It's exactly it's whatever. Well, it's it's back to you know this common theme now tailoring. You got to tailor it, tailor your 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 products, your processes, your procedures, your tools all need to be tailored to the situation that you're the environment that you're in in your project. Yeah, and who you're communicating with, and I. I think that's a great distinction that you bring out there. It's like, so we have, you know, work performance data. You know, the person doing it probably understands it. How many shingles do we have? Three pallets. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> Is that how many do I need for the roof? Now I've got a context. Now I've got WPI information that a project manager probably can understand. But then you got the next level, the report, right? That's right. something an executive better understand. So. Right. And it's all different. And I like that. I, I love your example of if I'm talking to an engineer, I probably need nodes in a network diagram. If I'm talking mm-hmm. to a boss, hey, they can they can see it out late on a Gantt chart with a calendar and it's, hey, looks this looks like we're going to be done here. That's and what milestones and, and and point out the, the milestone, the approaching mile point, point out, first of all, the successful milestones that you've met in the past and then the ones that are approaching and then the ultimate you know milestones at the completion of the project. And lay it all out to them on one sheet of paper. So yeah, oh yeah, that, I think that's key too. Keep it simple. Keep it the, the show them the wins. Show them where we're going to be. And I know we talked a little bit about it beforehand, but you know, if you can forecast out, hey, we're looking this like this in the future. Now you've got the crystal ball. So I think that's cool. I I always used to target the volume of information I was intending to put out based on the level of the person that I was briefing. If you were one level above me in the management scheme, I always had at least one page of data to give you. If you were two levels above me in the management scheme, I always had a PowerPoint slide to show. If you were three above me, it was a note card. And because that's all they have time to deal with those at those different levels. That's the amount of time they have to focus. You know, someone one, one level above you, they've got time to read a sheet of paper. If they're interested in what you're doing, two levels above you, they've got time to read and, and, and assimilate the information on a PowerPoint slide. Uh, Three levels above you, if it's not, if it doesn't fit on a on a post-it note or a three by five card, they they ain't got time. So right. Uh, and and the other thing is, you can give them the three by five card or the post-it note, and they can take it with them. They can stick it in their pocket. They can pull it out when they're going to get a cup of coffee or whatever. But but give it to them. Say so here, you know. There's a status update. Yep. I like. It. I really like it. I think that's that's words to 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 really operate by in many things, even if outside of a project is just be cognizant of the time that mm-hmm. people have to be able to, I guess, digest what you're trying to give them. Mm-hmm. And if it rises to the level of more importance, they'll ask for more. Right. right. So and, and uh, it's all based on how much time they have to focus on you. That's right. 
That's in, right. In their day to day life, how much time they have. That's why, you know, we, we tell everybody to develop the 30 second elevator spill. That's right. You know? And because that that's usually the best opportunity you have to spend spend face to face with a senior executive in an organization is the elevator ride up. Right. I think that's a, I think that's part of the reason they put the senior executives at the top of the buildings so that, that you maximize the amount of time that you can sequester them. Somebody can in an elevator. <laughs> somebody thought about it. Yeah. Yep. Somebody <laughs> thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. God forbid if they put them all on the first floor, you'd never get, you'd never get a moment of their time. So. Right. You, you'd never even know they were in the building. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Good, good assessment. Uh, as we begin to like, uh, talking about schedule and then projections and then seeing where we stand on the project. That kind of brings us to the calculating the cost and the schedule variance, you know, and it, honestly variance, you just kind of think about it as the difference, right? The difference between where my plan was and where I'm living. Uh, if you were, you know, in math, you would say that's a subtraction problem. Well, guess what? They are. So <laughs> that's all it is. So what, I mean, give us a good example or, you know, or just an explanation of cost variance and how you might use it on a project. Well, first of all, let, let's back, let's take one step back and talk about the, both the schedule variance and the cost variance. It, these are involved in a management theory called earn value management. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's a well-known and accepted management philosophy now even at the senior level of management. The problem is at the senior level of management, most of those managers do not understand what earned value management is. They've been told that it's important that the people that work for them and report to them report via an earned management system. So therefore they're interested in it, but they don't have a whole lot of knowledge in it. It's the good news is it's very, very simple. It's exactly like I said, it's based on three different um, uh, variables. Your plan value, which is this is what we plan. This is what's in our baseline. This is what's on our schedule. This is what's in our scope. This is, you know, this, this is what we plan to do. The earn value is what we've actually accomplished, you know, as opposed to what we plan to do. And then the third is the actual cost that was incurred. That cost can be time. It can be money. It can be, you know, square foot of or cubic foot of concrete. It can be anything that you measure, but simple way to do it is put it. Everything has a cost associated with it. So, it's best to back everything back down to cost to dollars because then everybody can, can uh, um, reflect and, and, and assimilate the data based on what the dollar value is. So let's start with there's there, with the variance itself. Variance like you said, it's off. It's very, it's the, it's math. You got to do math and that scares everybody. The good news is it's simple math. It's just the difference for the schedule variance, you know, it is simply the earned value minus the plan value. That's all it is. You know, you take what you what you actually got accomplished, subtract from it what you planned on doing. And then the difference, that difference matters. Uh if your schedule variance is, is greater than one, it indicates you're ahead of schedule. That's great. If it equals one, that means you're on schedule. That's great. If it's less than one, that means you're behind schedule. Now, just because you're behind schedule, is it's, it may not be a bad thing, or it's certainly not something you can't recover from. Uh, What's more important than the actual variance itself is the next calculation you do, which is called the actual the performance index. It's math. It requires a little bit more difficult math because you got to do division as opposed to subtraction. But it's simple division. It is simple, simply 
the earned value divided by the plan value. It's just a ratio. So same same thing. The the the, the variance was the earned value minus the plan value. Use the same numbers, the earned value divided by the plan is your scheduled performance index. Now, same thing applies. You're, if, you're, if your scheduled performance index is greater than one, you're ahead of schedule, everything's good. If it equals one, you're on schedule, everything's good. If it's below one, it indicates that you're not meeting your schedule, you're behind schedule. The, the thing that I always preferred the schedule performance or the cost performance index, as opposed to the variance, is that the uh, performance index allows you to trend. The, the actual variance shows you at this point in time, this is what we're doing, where performance indexes allow you to trend and say, okay, we're, 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 we were above one, now we're at one, now we're below one. You report that three months in a row, there's a problem, okay? Something, something's going on, there's a trend going on there. So, so, and that's the difference between the two. Now, you can take the very same words that I've used about schedule and substitute cost for both variance and cost performance index. And it's, it's the same calculation the, the cost variance is just the difference between your earned value and your actual cost. Whereas the cost performance index is just the earned value divided by the actual cost. That's all it is. One's a ratio, one's a difference, one's a ratio. That's all it is. And like I said, the same thing applies. Uh, if your cost variance is greater than one, you're under budget. If it's one or you want to be one or greater, if it's less than one, you're, you're over budget. It's the same way with your performance index. Greater than one, you're under budget. At one, you're on budget. Uh, less than one, you're over budget. Uh, over budget. So you need to be concerned about it. But yeah. people tend to be intimidated by when you put math that you inform them that <clears throat> yeah, there's an element of mathematics that you have to do, but this is simple math. This is not geometry. It's not trigonometry. It's not algebra. It's not calculus. It's not differential equation. It's not linear algebra. It's no form of higher math. It's simple math. And <clears throat> it's by you taking your performance of your project and monetizing it down to numbers for as far as whether variance or performance index numbers, uh, it allows you to quickly um, communicate the status of your project to, especially to senior management. Now, <clears throat> like I said, I, uh, in the mid nineties was when the, the awareness of earned value hit senior management. And it started out as a panic because they all of a sudden their bosses were requiring them to do something that they didn't know how to do. And so their immediate reaction was to look to all the people who work for them and go, you better be reporting earned value. And okay. And you could, you could report anything in the world and call it earned value. And okay, check the box. They reported earned value. It's not supposed to be difficult. It's a simple measure. You're all, all you're really doing is, is converting uh, your, your cost performance and your scheduled performance down to quantitative numbers that can be used to compare then as you go through the project. So it's not anything to be intimidated by, or difficult, but it's, it's a very important uh concept of project management because it levels the playing field. Now, everybody's talking, when you talk about schedule variance and or cost variance or cost performance index or schedule performance index, everyone is talking about the same thing. So, so it's the great field leveler. I like that. I think it's really important to, to point out too. It's, 
Uh, and you said it a couple times. It's really not that crazy of of difficulty. I think the hardest thing that I had to wrap my head around was that schedule is dollars. Right. I mean, it, it's just the conversion factor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're talking about uh, earned value, trying to pick a reference point, like how do you convert it? Like if you're doing a big, long project and you've got X amount of stuff done, like how do I... I guess, how do I pinpoint where I, I know on actual cost, it's pretty easy. It's, mm -hmm. you can literally just yep. tally up how much have I spent? Yeah. <laughs> add up the receipts. That's all you got to do. All right. That's right. But then, oh. and then you go, okay, so then what did I plan to spend in this book? Well, you pull out your, your, your budget baseline, your cost baseline and say, okay, you know, nine months into the project is where I'm at today. My plan was to spend X amount. This was my actual cost. And now, so now I know actual cost. I know what my plan costs were. Well, guess what? If you know the actual cost and the and the plan value, you can calculate earn value. That's right. And, uh, that's because because you know two of the three. So it's uh it's a it's not a difficult concept at all at all. And most importantly, it gets everybody in the project management world talking the same language. Okay, everyone knows what earned value is. Everyone knows what planned value is. Everyone knows what actual costs are. And that's it. Those are the, there's three variables in, in cost and schedule perform variance and, and performance indexing. There you go. And then, like I said uh, earlier, I think, I think this is one of the most important technical skills you need to develop as a project manager is how to accurately calculate schedule and cost variance and performance indexes. And the reason that it's important is then it directly leads to the next skill, which is the most important project management skill to have outside of leadership. And that is the ability to forecast forecast your schedule performance and forecast your cost performance. Uh, if you're, if you don't have the ability to forecast accurately, you are doing nothing but looking in the rear view mirror because all the data you have, all the data and information you present, that's all based on the past. All that, that work has been accomplished, that money has been spent and there's where we're at. But if you develop the ability to take your variances and your performance indexes and then convert them accurately to accurate forecasts, you are now looking out the windshield of the automobile as opposed to looking at the rear view mirror. And nothing will prove your worth as a project manager to an organization than the ability to accurately forecast how a project is going to perform. Uh, one of the, you know, the add-ons to cost and schedule variance and performance is called, called the, you know, the estimate to complete and the estimate at completion. Those sound very similar, but they're very different. The estimate to complete is how much more money and time I need from right now to complete this project that I've been assigned to do. That's my estimate to complete. The estimate at completion is once I get finished, once I get everything done, this is how much money I'm going to spend and this is how much time I took to do it. In. That's the difference between estimate at completion and estimate to complete. Both are very important. They're important for two very different reasons. If you're in a project that is struggling and maybe upper management is trying to decide whether or not we continue this project or not, that estimate to complete may be may become the determining factor is whether or not management decides to continue to pursue this project or not, because they've already spent, they've got this fixed cost. They've already spent so much time and so much money. Now, is it worth it 
to spend this much incrementally amount more of money and time to complete this project or should we just shut it down now and cut our losses? Uh, so that's important number to have. The estimate at completion is a very important number because that's the number you compare, go back and compare to your cost and schedule baselines and you determine definitively how well the project team performed. Yeah, over the, I like that. Of course, of the project. So, so those are very important um, uh, terms. They sound similar, but they're different. But once again, that's all part of this evolution of learning the project management language. Okay. Once, once you, once you work with these terms and you use them on a regular basis and you calculate them and you spend time doing this, then the intimidation factor goes away. The, you, you, you gain proficiency in them. And, and, and like I said, you're, uh, your worth and your value as a project manager to an organization can be quantitatively uh, depicted by your ability to predict performance. Now, you also, it's important for you to provide the necessary leadership skills and technical skills to ensure good performance on the project as it goes through the thing. But you also, the ultimate goal at the end is to be successful. And, and you need, need to know that you also need to know, like I said, there, there have been, there were times in projects that were managed, managed, managed that were shut down or terminated. And, and it was, it was, there was no sense just continuing to throw good money after that. And, uh, and senior management appreciates your, uh, the ability for your, your candor to say, look, we need to shut down. We, we are not going to deliver the value that we promised that we were going to deliver nine months ago at the beginning of this project. That's not going to happen. And, uh, and for these reasons, but uh, whatever it may be, but, uh, and uh, typically those reasons are outside the control of the organization and uh, not, they're typically not, Projects are typically not terminated due to poor performance by the project team. They're typically terminated due to uh, environmental conditions outside the span of control of the project team, typically even outside the span of control of the organization. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I, I, it really falls under the EFs, right? right. It's exactly. Typically external, typically negative something change, regulation change, the, you no longer have the lease on the land or, you know, something that affects it that would throw your estimate at completion well above your budget. And it's like, now we don't see the, the benefits management plan is out the window, right? We no longer can see those benefits. Yep. I just, uh, to, to relate this to modern day events, uh, you know, Chevron, Chevron corporation purchased, Noble Energy's uh, gas fills in Israel last year. Uh, last week, they shut down at Ashkelon and, and, and Ashdod, uh, the Tamar field. They, they, the country of Israel contacted Chevron and said, you've got to shut in this platform and close down this pipeline and shut it down because we're at war. And we'll let you know when, because it's too big of uh, an environmental threat uh, to continue to produce gas and pump through it. Now, the northern part of the country, up at where the the uh, uh, Leviathan field is, it's still in production and is still 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 working. But how do you how do you plan for? Oh, operations are going to be terminated due to a war, right? And, uh, so that's an un unforeseen event, and uh, so uh, but it's something you have to deal with. Excellent example of an external environmental factor. Right? Yep. You can't control it. It just, it happens. And then you look at the impact and as a project manager, like you said, as executives would appreciate the, Hey, we got shut down for this reason. Let's make mm -hmm. an internal decision. Well, the good news is they've been 
been operating for you know a couple of years now, so so they know exactly what their operating costs are. They know exactly what their revenues are based on it. So it's a easy, it's a simple mathematical connection. Okay, what what does it cost them on a day by day basis to shut down that platform and yeah. that pipeline? And and so then the the company executives make the decision. Okay, how long are we going to shut this in for? And you know, and and what you know, looking at all the other risk associated with it. So, yeah, well, great, yeah, great, great examples and great explanation on you know the cost and schedule variance. I think that that's helpful. And then throwing in the a couple of the other forecasting and other terms is just going to help. You know, ultimately, it's how do you report, how do you monitor your own project while you're reporting the data and information that the organization needs you know, to be one abreast of your project, but two, how are you doing against a, an objective objective measure, right? So mm-hmm. at the very end of the project, was I above or below? You know, it's pretty simple to see, but this puts it in quantitative terms that are, uh, and I like the word usage, definitive. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> it is. It's, it's an accurate depiction of how you did. It's just math. It's just math. I like mm-hmm. that. That's got to be the uh, name of the episode for sure. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Well, thanks again for being on. Any parting shots before we uh, shut this one down? My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I I always enjoy it. I enjoy our time together and our discussions. And uh, uh, yes, I I think that uh, uh, my only comment would be to to don't be intimidated by things that involve math as far as from a management standpoint, because the whole point in management is, is the transfer of information. Okay, and and you need to to use a language that everyone understands. You need to get you're not going to impress anybody by showing them complicated calculations about how you derived at something, a number based on a derivation that you went through. So that that just goes over. That's not impressive to management. What's impressive is show me the numbers and break them down, show me the trends, uh, and 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 explain to me why that trend is happening. Yeah. That's what they want to, and if it's a negative trend, I want to know what's the solution. When are, yeah. What are you going to do? When's it going to be done? And when am I going to see that, that negative trend turn positive again? Yeah, yeah. That's Take it right back to your military days, right? It's, uh, what am I seeing? Uh, where is it going? Give me a couple COAs to figure out a, a solution, you know, and it's, you do that, you keep it simple like that. And people are going to be like, wow, you are a project manager, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but all right. Well, we'll see you guys next time on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the PM Pathfinder series and want to join the profession, certify, or maintain your PDUs by visiting vets and looking up project manager essential toolbox or a boot camp.